This podcast is recommended for a mature audience and contains themes that may offend. Hi, I'm Connie. I grew up in a small town New Zealand. I watched lots of television growing up, documentaries like Who's the Boss, Growing Pains, Kate and Ellie. When I was grown up, I went to the USA for real. These are some of my small stories in a big country, learning about the USA and learning about myself too. Shout out to my listener Meredith, hey, <laughs> who messaged me and said, come on, don't make me have reruns. Welcome back. Had a little bit of a break there because, you know, podcasting is a hobby for me and um, I'm not going to hurt myself trying to get sponsorship. This is just, I do it because I enjoy spending time with you. I enjoy telling stories and I want the experiences I've had in North America to live on digitally. So my next story is about the time I visited Los Alamos, um, which is the place where they did a lot of nuclear research, invented the nuclear bomb place. My friend today asked me, um, is it because I have like low-level depression? And it's not. It's because when I grew up in the 1980s, I grew up in the 1980s, um, nuclear war was like a big deal. It's hard to imagine what it was like now. Oh yeah, except you totally can. So you know how like half of America is on fire at the moment and the coronavirus is all over the planet. Now imagine that, that level of kind of fear and uncertainty, but instead of coronavirus and wildfires, it's the potential of atomic war and a nuclear winter. It was that intense when I was a kid. Um, And everything was veiled in secrecy because of the Cold War, right? So um, you can Google Cold War if you don't know what it is. It it was a whole thing. Um, And there was a lot of espionage and spies and state secrets being stolen. Um, And in fact, New Zealand was uh, impacted on the whole espionage front because Greenpeace had a ship called the Rainbow Warrior, which was going to sail out to Murador Atoll, where they were testing atomic devices in the Pacific and uh, to protest Um, France's detonating of these bombs, kind of um, upwind from New Zealand. Oh, and also all of every other island in the Pacific. And so France, the government of France, sent secret agents to New Zealand to put a bomb on this boat, this Greenpeace boat, to stop the protests because that was the Cold War. And so the bomb detonated, someone was killed. Um, I still remember Alan Maffar and Dominique Blair um, being uh, sent to trial. And then they were kind of spirited back to France and never heard of again a couple of years later. Um, another nuclear moment in my childhood was Chernobyl, when Chernobyl fucking blew up. <laughs> and the whole world was like... <sighs> so, so yeah, so, you know, it just was... Ap- as an adult, I'm very curious about all of the things that were just complete terrifying secrets when I was a child, which is how <clears throat> I ended up going with my friend Marty, hi, um, to Los Alamos, which is um, uh, the little town that was the town where the people who developed the first atomic bomb lived and worked. Uh, and actually, it turns out that another friend of mine, Jonas, hi, um, his 
dad was like this like fucking nuclear physicist, theoretical guy. I had no idea. Um, am I like oversharing? I never said Jonas's last name, so it's good. Uh, America's a big country. New Zealand is not. Um, so anyway, we rock up to Los Alamos in, um, uh, in the pickup truck. Maybe it was like a Toyota. I can't remember. Like the whole, the trip there is magical, right? So we're like riding through the New Mexican desert. And this is like roadrunner country and it's just extraordinary. Like there's nothing like it in New Zealand. Um, uh, I, I don't know. I don't know how to put it into words, the like endless vistas of the, this desert. Um, and Los Alamos is, um, like a, is like a plateau and we do kind of have one of those in New Zealand, which is um, our the desert road, which is a, like a high altitude desert. Um, and, the, you know, they're stopping and taking photos and I'm ooing and ahhing over the light and the, um, the, the vegetation. And apparently, also, I might have seen a roadrunner, but we didn't see a roadrunner. I'm just going to have a little sip of my sippy bottle. I basically record this podcast in a tent fort. And um, it's really warm in the tent fort. <laughs> I get really, like, thirsty. Um... So we get to Los Alamos, and the striking thing about Los Alamos is how ordinary it looks. Like, literally, this is the place where some of the world's most devastating weapons of mass destruction had been developed, and PS are still being researched. Um, And it's this, like, Edward Scissorhands-level normality. School bus pulls up, kids get out, they're going to school. What struck me was that there were, like, maybe three or four big bank branches in town. And I'm like... The banks only put a branch in when there's money. <laughs> and judging by the side of these branches, the size of these bank branches that are here, um, yeah, there's some money sloshing around in Los Alamos. And everyone in Los Alamos is like, they kind of know what they're doing as weapons of mass destruction, but they also know that that's a gravy train that they don't want to um, fuck up. And if you're interested, there's a really interesting book called Plutopia. I can't remember the author, but you can Google Plutopia, and it's a uh, actually it talks about the Hanford um, township that grew around the Hanford plutonium plants, I think in Washington State, and um, comparing it with the similar plutonium town that grew up in the former Soviet Union, and how everyone there kind of knows like oh yeah, it's like slightly deadly, radioactive, like fucking weapons of mass destruction, but it's a great school district and they pay above average, and and what they discovered in this this thing was a a way to keep people zip the lip (laughs) and don't blab to the media and just do the things that are a little bit deadly um, is to treat them really well, pay them really well. Uh, And and both cities, uh, Hanford and also this one in the Soviet Union, which the name escapes me, you can Google it. Um, Yeah, is to treat the people really well so they keep working on your like devastating end-of-the-world weapons. So I got a vibe of this when I was at Los Alamos. I'm like, wow, it's like so perfectly perfect. And um, so we go to the like museum. There's a, I think there's like a couple of museums there. And um, which is the the oh, Los Alamos Lab, Sandria? I can't remember which. There, there were like these big placards saying, um, you know, government laboratories, re-research, biotechnology, new materials, space flight. And I'm like, what's that one other thing you guys do? I feel like you're missing a panel. Ah, oh, that's right. Devastating nuclear weapons, 
which are weapons of mass destruction in the truest sense of the word. Yeah, you don't have that in your big diorama. It's a total, um, what's the word here? Propaganda. It's this big propaganda fiesta in this museum. I mean, there's like lots of really interesting technology to look at, um, like foot-thick lead glass, for example. I'm like, yeah, you'd, you'd want that, probably. All those gamma rays zapping around the place. Um... Yeah, I mean, I don't actually remember that much of the museum because I don't actually think it was that real. It was um, just a lot of propaganda, a lot of real high-tech science stuff, which I thought was cool um, uh, because of my engineering brains. And then there was a guest book, and I'm like, oh, girl, girl, I have got some things I need to write in the guest book. And I was like... Um, you know, fucking fuck you for all of the fucking plutonium that you left in the South Pacific. So I don't know if you know this, but the Ministry of Health, the New Zealand Ministry of Health, has consistently recorded um, atomic fallout in the air since the end of the World War Two. That that's just something that, as a country, we measure because once upon a not very long ago. Um, the Americans and other uh, nuclear powers were detonating a bunch of nuclear weapons in the South Pacific and causing devastating effects. Um, it's worth Googling the Marshall Islands to find out about the Marshallese people who were totally shafted um, by the US government. It, it's, like not, it's not like a real happy story, um, the history of uh, nuclear things. And we're kind of stuck with this legacy of it, right? So I think... Um, Somewhere in the South Pacific is like a big pile of radioactive debris on an island that's got a concrete cap on it. And, um, yeah, that cap's not going to last forever, is it, Fano? And then what do we do? Then what do, what do we do? So even if we, like, as a species, decide to opt out of nuclear technology, hey, which is totally possible in a thing that we could do, because I don't know if you know this, but Japan at one stage had guns, and then they decided not to have guns anymore, and then there were no more guns. It was like in, it was like in the olden times... Um, but yeah, so they definitely got some guns and they were like, yeah, this doesn't really fit that well with our like samurai system that we've got going here, which is actually keeping pretty good law and order. So maybe just no guns. And then there were no guns in Japan. So I think it's actually, you know, kind of like removing all the nuclear missiles is possible. I think that genie, although we can't stick it back in the bottle, we can like, um, we can make it go away. Anyway, oh my god, this is so this is my visit to Los Alamos. All of the stuff is like running through my head. And then we go to see Oppenheimer's cottage. So these are like these historically preserved places, and that's super weird. And there's this like old Republican Barbara Bush looking lady um at the reception of that particular uh historic places tourist zone. And she Looks like she sucked a lemon because there's two fags coming, <laughs> looking like hippies, and she can tell that we've got these like left wing leanings. I mean, she didn't do anything bad, but it was just one of those situations, you know, where she just wanted us to pay our money and go far away from her. So yeah, I poked around Oppenheimer's little cottage where he took a poo in the morning. I've been into his bathroom. I think that's the amazing thing about visiting historic sites is the there's a real mundane quality to it as well as all of the um, historic context that's rattling around your head at the time. It's like, yeah, he had to have a poo in the morning. This is his little area where he went when he was, like, not working on, uh, you know, the nuclear program. And then we went into the lodge, 
and saw where these uh, physicists and their wives and families, um, and, you, and and I say that advisedly because this is like the formerly sexist 40s, right, um, would have uh, gathered to celebrate and New Year's and like, like I, I don't know what else they would have done there, little celebrations. And yeah, it was just like a really, it was a really odd and spooky day, particularly because America still has a nuclear program, particularly because the laboratories and the community there are still, um, it's not a historicised situation, it is still actively under development, you know, and so you kind of visit these like little propaganda museums and be like, oh, it was the olden days, it's like, no, 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 nuclear missiles are a real thing um, that continue to be a threat, and um, yeah, so I went and had a look at it, and then we went and got some... um, went and got some more Mex- New Mexican food for dinner because I can't get enough of fucking, I just can't get enough of it. Um, oh my God. Yeah, just so good. Oh yeah, here we, here we get to the bit of the podcast where, um, where I'm real food focused, real food focused. And then we um, drove back, um, drove back to Albuquerque. So one of the really shocking things um, actually about Albuquerque is it's one of the states that is not a wealthy state. So a lot of the time when I'm in North America, I'm in California, Washington State or Oregon, which are all wealthy states with high state taxes and good infrastructure. Um, The freeway in Albuquerque looks like it needs some work. I was like alarmed, like potholes and stuff. Like my New Zealand audience, I'm like, imagine if there was potholes on the Auckland or the Wellington motorway. Like, just it's not part of our reality, right? Like how we, I think we just take for granted that we've got good motorways. For all of their problems, they're well maintained. So yeah, I'm like, wow, this is the um, this is the part of America with the shitty infrastructure. Do you know, girl? Do you know that America has a problem with bridges just collapsing? There's this like whole deferred maintenance program on bridges all over the country, and they just fall down. I'm like, oh god, please not on my holiday. Please like let Albuquerque not have the freaky bridges. So yeah, we drive back to Albuquerque, the sun sets, it's magical, I'm like making all kinds of videos out the window to capture the colour, to to remember it, um, I'm having a great time, uh, oh right, and I've got a bunch of leftover food, <laughs> that's always the way, you know the next morning I had the breakfast of champions which was like some cold, um, what is that one, and they're cooked in the corn husks? I had those for breakfast cold because there was no microwave in my um, and I regret nothing. I would do it again. Oh my god, that ho- that motel was just a, it was. I mean, it's like not the worst place I've ever stayed, but it was real weird staying there by myself. I'm like, I don't know anyone for like hundreds of miles around in this like little motel. Could I hear police scanners in the evening? No, nah, it wasn't quite that bad. It was pretty bad. <laughs> uh. Yeah, so that's like my whole Los Alamos story with a side of being slightly scared of the freeways and the the air there is so clear. Um, New Zealand also has very clear, well it does in Wellington anyway, we've got very clear air as well. The air on the west coast of the US is hazy. And I never really got what people meant about different kinds of lights when referring to film and, and photography and I get it now. But the the nighttime in Albuquerque, the air was just so clear, and you could see for miles and see the um, city lights. Yeah, it was magical. It was real magical. Um, yeah, and everything was like they have this like color palette that they're super into, which is like turquoise, <laughs> turquoise, and salmon. It was like just everywhere. 
The first time I flew to North America with my friend Stevie, he took a sleeping pill and then he was just like out like a light. His head, to quote Patsy from Absolutely Fabulous, was bobbing around like a bladder on a stick. And I was like on the window seat and I had to go to the bathroom and I just had to like climb past my unconscious friend, friend, Stevie, if you're listening to this, I'm so sorry. I tried not to grind my butt cheeks into your face too much, but you are unconscious. (laughs) So a couple of years later, I'd had some trouble with my mental health and I had a prescription for Seroquel, which is an antipsychotic, which sounds really super dramatic. Um, But it's also... um, It's prescribed off-label in New Zealand as a sleeping pill, which is problematic in so many ways. But anyway, I've got access to um, this non-addictive sleeping pill. And girl, I'll tell you why it's not addictive, because it's a shitty high. Oh, it's shitty. I do not enjoy, uh, girl, I do not enjoy Seroquel, also known as quetiapine. I do not enjoy that one little bit. I will go to great lengths to avoid taking that medication. It is like a medication of last resort. Um... But, so I would never take a sleeping pill flying into the USA because I want to be compass mentis when I'm dealing with um, the border control because, you know, I just think it's respectful to have your wits about you when you're coming into a new country as a guest. However, when I'm flying back to New Zealand, I do not give a fuck. I've got a New Zealand passport. You bitches have to let me in. So... I started to think it would be a good idea to take like half a quetiapine. Um, <laughs> and I tell you what, it's very effective. You take that half, half a sleeping pill and then you just kind of, it just becomes very easy to sleep. Um, often I'm traveling by myself. Apologies to any strangers that my head like flopped down onto or my hand touched on the, the shared armrest and I touched your hand by accident. I'm so sorry, I don't remember. Which is kind of fine, except like the last time I did it, and when I was flying into Auckland, did I take a whole pill? I don't know. It just really like, it just really fucked me up. And so when I like turned up to um, Auckland, I was like not really, Auckland, New Zealand, I was like not really all that switched on. And so the first indication of this was um, I'd bought some um, cat biscuits for, you know, a little treat for my little cat. Um... And I don't know if you know this, but New Zealand, you can bring in drugs and firearms easier than you can bring in an apple. We have the biosecurity in New Zealand is like mental off the hook. Crazy. <laughs> don't you bring in no cheese, no like unprocessed honey products. <laughs> You'll get in so much trouble. So I like arrive in New Zealand, still kind of like a bit affected by half a Seroquel. I'm in the um, baggage pickup bit. So you pick up your luggage in this big concourse and then you go through to biosecurity to like declare whatever fucking maggoty cheese (laughs) that you're trying to get into the country. And so several things are going wrong for me. First of all, I start to get really paranoid about this like cat biscuits. So like Right now, between you and me, of course it's fine to bring that shit in. It's processed cat food. Jesus Christ, Purina's made in America anyway. Like, it would be like a non-issue. But I get my, like, slightly out of it paranoia on. So, like, in the fucking, like, luggage claim hall, I unpack one of my suitcases, get the, the little cat food biscuits out and stick that shit in the amnesty bin for, like, no good reason except that I had had some Seroquel and was making poor 
decisions. Okay, so, so the next problem is, so I've got a, a ticket back to Wellington. If You will get back to Wellington if you're on that ticket. There is no issue. But I'm all like, I might miss my connecting flight. Shit, girl, if you miss your connecting flight, it is not an issue. They will just stick you on the next fucking connecting flight because that's how that ticket works. But I'd kind of forgotten how airlines work because I'd taken this fucking sleeping pill and it was giving me a bad time. So I'm like panicking the fuck out in the... um, the line to get through biosecurity. I'm like really freaking out. There's actually not much story to tell here except that internally I was having a bad time. And then, and you know, it's all fine. They get get through. I tell you what, if you tell them you're a Kiwi, they pretty much just wave you through. She was like, are you like travelling? You come back from America. I'm like, yep. She's like, have you got anything to bet, declare? I'm like, yep, I've got six pounds of lollies because I totally did have six pounds of lollies, also known as candy, because it was I, it was like the first week of September, so the Halloween candy was out in Target. <laughs> so I got like fucking six pounds of this fucking tooth-rotting Tootsie Rolls and other various types of American candy slash lollies that I'd never heard of before. That shit was delicious and also problematic. And she was like, that's fine, you just go on the green line. So me and my, my luggage go out the green line. And then I'm like, I can't remember... Fuck, I never should have taken that sleeping pill. Fuck, I was so... I was just a hot mess. I was like, oh no, what do I do with my luggage now? Do I check it in the international terminal? I don't understand what's happening. It was so bad. And so I think I went and talked to someone and they are like, you should just... You've missed the thing, but they'll just book you on the next one and you need to go to the... Um, domestic terminal to get on your flight and then I'm like oh how do I get to the domestic terminal it's so far and then I like wait for the bus and it takes ages and then I just kind of get more paranoid and I'm like fuck I can't wait for the bus so me and my luggage walk we walk from the international terminal to the domestic terminal I, I mean the story is here that I'm really I really, 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 I don't know if it was, like, worth <laughs> the, <laughs> the time loss that I experienced for, like, the fucking trash, human walking trash fire that I became at the other end, all sleep-deprived and jet-lagged and, like, fucking the tail end of an antipsychotic. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I got back to Wellington in one piece. I don't even remember. I don't even remember. I mean, I guess I must have checked my luggage somewhere I don't know I just went and talked to some oh yeah it's all coming back to me now yeah I just I just like found like Air New Zealand so one of the things about Air New Zealand it's worth flying Air New Zealand because their customer service is fucking amazing Air New Zealand routinely used to win like airline of the world awards or come second or third really just next level this one time I flew American Airlines because they it's all, it's all fucked now because of COVID. But back in the day, um, American Airlines started flying that route as well. Oh, oh, American Airlines was real horrifying. I mean, before I even got to their separate terminal at LAX, I was almost like, I'm so sorry, New Zealand, I'll never cheat on you again. And I went in there and their computer systems were so slow and just about crashed. And all of the workers were wearing these cheap kind of maroon polyester blazers and all of them looked like they didn't care and that they regretted their job choices, and yeah, American Airlines was, it was, oh no. <laughs> Never again. So yeah, I managed to get back to New Zealand. It was always super weird coming back um, from an amazing trip like that, because straight away you're like, did it even happen? That's why I'm making the podcast, because yes, it really did happen. Yes, girl, it did. I got all fucked up on sleeping pills and had a bad time at an airport. That's real.
I like vaguely remember when Mount St. Helens erupted. Like vaguely, I would have been a kid. My parents, bless them, had a subscription to National Geographic who have amazing photography. And yeah, I remember there was like a Mount St. Helens episode of National Geographic. And my little my little kiddie brain was like, but, 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 how could that so bad that the volcano blew up? Anyway, a million years later, um, I'm riding on the I-5 with my friend Falcon and his boyfriend and <laughs> an ornery old hippie who I hooked up with later. <laughs> oh no, maybe maybe this was before I met the ornery old hippie. Thanks, Falcon. Thanks, Falcon. Falcon like arranged it so there was like like not quite enough beds and I'm like, oh, we'll have to share. <laughs> good times, good times. Um <laughs> oh, oh, I'm blushing. I'm blushing. So yeah, we're driving up on the I-5 and I think they're like, there's Mount St. Helens in the distance. And I'm like, oh, that's that famous mountain that blew up. Wow, that's crazy. And then they were like, see these big hills by the interstate? And I'm like, yeah, these like big hills by the interstate. They're like, those aren't hills. Those are piles of ash that they bulldozed up to kind of make, you know, make this interstate be able to be open and let people farm and live their lives. I was like, wow. That's wild. These huge hills that were actually big piles of bulldozed up ash from Mount St. Helens. Crazy. I remember the summer that I got addicted to coffee. <laughs> I think I was 15 and I went on, I had this like internship at uh, DSIR, which was like a government research lab because my mum's a science teacher and she hooked me up and I was staying with my aunt and I started drinking coffee every day and I was like, I really like how this cup of coffee makes me feel. So when I went back to high school, I was I went to like the school canteen where we'd like sometimes buy our lunches and I'd be like, Can I buy a coffee? And they were like, What now? I'm like, I need a coffee. And so it became this like and they sold me a coffee for fifty cents. Um, I found out years later that one of my friends was friends with one of the canteen ladies and she used to just go and get a coffee around the back. I was like, God damn it. It's not what you know, it's who you know. So, travelling in North America, in fact, you know, I know this from travelling in New Zealand, although I have to say that New Zealand's coffee culture in 2020 is kind of next level. Like, you you can go to a petrol station, a gas station, a BP, up and down New Zealand, and they will make you a good espresso and a flat white and a latte. And it might, like, not be the best one you've ever had, but it'll be good good coffee with the required amount of caffeine in it. Um, so... I don't want to, like, fuck around with that shit. So the first time I went to North America, and every time I went to North America, I would take 400 grams of ground espresso, usually by Lafaro, which is a roast, a local roastery, which I like, and a stovetop mocha pot. Yeah, that's how I rolled. That is how I rolled. Um, because generally, um, the coffee in America is piss weak and very disappointing. Yeah, so um, I'd be like checking in through border control and they'd be like, anything to declare? And I'd be like, um, 400 grams of ground coffee. Because <laughs> I need it. I need it to survive. And um, yeah, there were these like little sachets that Starbucks produced that my friend Falcon put me on to. And like, I'm not super proud about the, the thing I'm about to reveal to you. So, I mean, we're good friends and I feel like 
you won't judge me too much. You can judge me a little bit because I'm judging myself and you'll just keep my conf- confidence. So Starbucks made these little sachets that look like, like you know, on uh, like a sugar cafes on the table and the sugar's in like a little like little paper stick and you rip it off and the sugar comes out. Like that kind of size thing with a combination of instant coffee and freeze-dried espresso particles. I don't know what's going on at Bunsen Honeydew Starbucks Laboratories, but I think Beaker was pretty jacked up on coffee the day that they released this product. Starbucks via... And, um, and I've never seen them in New Zealand, and it's fine because you don't need them in New Zealand. So everywhere I went, I had these, like, Starbucks via sachets in my fanny pack because <laughs> I was super into fanny packs, also known as bum bags. Oh, that's a whole thing. Did you know that in New Zealand and the UK, fanny 100% means vagina and not the bum bum? <sighs> I just about couldn't function because I found this really cute um, State Farms fanny pack at a vintage store and I was buying it. And my friend Falcon was like, oh, you're buying a fanny pack. And I'm like, can you please not say that because it means vagina and it's like, <laughs> it's really weird. He was like, no, it's fine. I mean, if I was a school teacher in North America, I'd be like, come on, children, move your fannies. And I just like was laughing so much that I dropped my um dropped my credit card on the floor because it was just so ridiculous to me. So, yeah, I'd be in diners. And they'd, they'd like come around with their um, dreadful filter coffee and the dripper later. And um, I mean, it's dreadful for me. If you enjoy it, girl, live your best life. Who am I to judge? But for me, with my like appalling caffeine addiction, it actually does more harm than good because I have a sip of the filter coffee and my body produces the here comes the caffeine response and the caffeine doesn't come. And then I hurt. I hurt because I'm in withdrawal and that is a bad time. So what I what I do is they pour my little uh, piss week filter coffee, I'd get my little via sachet out and I felt like I was adding an additive to an old car that needed leaded petrol. I'm like, I'm just going to add this and then it was good. <laughs> yeah, that's my story about my caffeine addiction. Just like Janeway from Star Trek, there's coffee in that nebula. The podcast you have been listening to has concluded. Remember to subscribe to be notified of new episodes.